Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza. This is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we bring you the story of the 1969 NBA Finals between the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. This is the most common finals matchup in NBA history. The Celtics and the Lakers have played each other in the finals 12 times. No other matchup even comes close. This is a testament to the consistently high play on the part of both franchises. Together, the Celtics and the Lakers have won 34 NBA championships, 17 apiece. The other 28 franchises have combined for only 41. This means that the Celtics and the Lakers alone own 45% of all the championships. That is incredible. Now, going into the finals in 1969, it was the seventh time that Elgin Baylor had played the Celtics in the finals, and he had lost every single time. For Jerry West, it was the sixth time that he had been to the finals, and every single time was also against the Celtics, and he had lost every single one. Will Chamberlain from the Lakers was the only one who had previously tasted success against the Celtics in the playoffs. He was on the Philadelphia 76ers team back in 1960 and they ended the Celtics' eight-year run of championships. But things were different this time. The Celtics were not the same team that they had seen before. Bob Cousy was gone, so was Bill Sharman, Casey Jones, and Tommy Heinsohn. The only two veterans left from the glory days were Bill Russell and Sam Jones, and they were both on their last legs. In fact, both would end up retiring at the conclusion of the finals regardless of who won. The only Hall of Famer still in his prime for the Celtics was John Havlicek. For the Lakers, the trio of Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, and Will Chamberlain were all still at the height of their abilities, at least for a few more years. The Lakers were the heavy favorites that year. They finished the regular season with the best record in the West at 55-27. and 27. But the Celtics finished in fourth place in the East and took the last spot in the playoffs with a record of 48 and 34. They were very inconsistent all season as the rest of the league took advantage of their age to collect easy victories. Now this is how they got into the finals. In the West, the Lakers stumbled out of the gate losing the first two games at home against the San Francisco Warriors, but then they quickly righted the ship and won the next four games in a row, including a 40-point route in game six to close out the series. In the next round, the Lakers took care of the Atlanta Hawks four games to one. The Hawks were led by Zelmo Beatty and Lou Hudson, and they just did not have the firepower necessary to stop the Lakers. Except for those first two games against the Warriors, the Lakers had won eight out of nine games to secure their spot in the finals and try to win their first championship since moving from Minneapolis to Los Angeles. In the East, the Celtics were the underdog in every single round due to their relatively poor record. They had to play the number one seeded Baltimore Bullets in the first round. The Bullets had the best record in the entire league that year at 57 and 25. The Bullets were led by Earl the Pearl Monroe and Kevin Loggery. 
There is no reason that the Bullets should have even lost a single game against these Celtics, but they lost all four in a Celtic sweep. It was a total collapse on the part of the Bullets. Next up for the Celtics were the New York Knicks, and they were having a great season and they had a fully loaded roster with five Hall of Fame players, Dave DeBusher, Willis Reed, Walt Frazier, Walt Bellamy, and Bill Bradley. They also had two Hall of Fame coaches on the team, their head coach Red Holtzman and the backup power forward Phil Jackson. The Celtics took care of them in six games to secure a spot in the NBA Finals for the 12th time in 13 years. Two of those games were one-point victories, Game 4 and Game 6. The series could have easily gone the Knicks way, but the Celtics were playing like their younger selves. It was like they had found the fountain of youth just as they were heading into the playoffs. That set up the finals matchup between the Celtics and the Lakers, with the Lakers having home court advantage due to their superior regular season record. That year, the Lakers had two of the top 10 scorers from the regular season in Jerry West and Elgin Baylor. Will Chamberlain took a support role by focusing on defense and rebounds that led to outlet passes for fast break opportunities. But it was not like Chamberlain was not scoring at all. They were still a three-headed monster. West averaged 26 points per game, Baylor scored 25 points per game, and Chamberlain gave 21 points per game to their effort. All three were a threat on any given possession. In game one of the series in Los Angeles, Jerry West exploded for 53 points that night to help lead the Lakers to a 120-118 to victory. Baylor added 24 points in the effort to neutralize the 37 that Havlicek had scored for the Celtics. In Game 2, still in Los Angeles, Havlicek stepped up big time, pouring in 43 points for the Celtics. Jerry West again delivered with 41 points of his own, along with 32 from Baylor. The Lakers held serve and secured Game 2 by a score of 118-112. to They now led the series two games to none as the series shifted to Boston for Games 3 and 4. In Game 3, the Lakers struggled to score efficiently on the floor of the Boston Garden. Havlicek led the way for the Celtics with 34 points, along with a surprise breakout performance by Larry Siegfried, who contributed 28 points. The Lakers were simply flat and the Celtics won 111-105. to In Game 4, Jerry West bounced back and came through with 40 points, but with little help from the rest of the team. Keith Erickson was the only other player for the Lakers in double digits. Baylor and Chamberlain scored only 13 points combined. It was a horrid effort. The Celtics had a very balanced attack with Havlicek, Siegfried, Sam Jones, and Bailey Howell all scoring in double digits for the Celtics for an 89-88 victory, just a single point. That one-point win could have easily gone the Lakers' way. The Lakers were actually leading the game with only 15 seconds to go. Sam Jones got the ball for the final shot, but he slipped just as he was releasing the ball, and he just kind of shoved the ball toward the basket. The ball bounced around a couple of times and went in. Sam Jones would later say that he knew it was a lucky shot. He said that he just wanted to get the ball somewhere close to the basket so that Bill Russell could tip it in. But here was the problem. Bill Russell was on the bench at the time. As the player and coach, Bill Russell decided to take himself out of the game because he was a relatively poor free throw shooter. It was a lucky shot that could have easily gone the other way. However, as it stood, the series was now tied two games apiece with Game 5 back in Los Angeles. In Game 5, Jerry West again led all scorers with 39 points, along with 23 from Johnny Egan. Boston had strong performances from Havlicek, Jones, and Siegfried, but it was just not enough. The Lakers protected home court and won with a decisive score of 117-104. to 
But what did not show up in the box score is something that happened with only three minutes left in the game. M. Bryant of the Celtics collided with Jerry West that resulted in West pulling his hamstring. The Lakers now had to try to win the series with their best player playing on a bad leg. Game 6 was back in Boston. West was slowed by the bad hamstring, but he was still able to score 26 points. Elgin Baylor also had 26, but they got very little help from anywhere else. Chamberlain only scored 8 points that night. The Celtics had a much more balanced attack led by bench player Don Nelson with 25 points. Havlicek, Bryant, and Siegfried all contributed double-digit totals to help the Celtics to tie up the series with a 99-90 score. Now the good news for the Lakers was that Game 7 was going to be back in Los Angeles. But Jerry West's leg was still not right, and he would have to compete at less than 100%. But what was in the Lakers' favor was the fact that all six games had been won by the home team. So with Game 7 back in LA, that was a good thing for the Lakers. Now this is a great place to take a break, and I'll be right back with the details of that Game 7 matchup. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, and let us get on with Game 7 of the 1969 NBA Finals. Despite the bad leg that Jerry West was playing on, there was no way that he was not going to suit up. Again, this was his sixth trip to the NBA Finals, and he was looking for his first championship. He was just one game away, and he was definitely going to play. The owner of the Lakers at the time was Jack Kent Cooke. Now, if you were a fan of American football, then you might recognize that name as the owner of the formerly named Washington Redskins during the late 70s and 80s. But on this day, he was still the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers, and he was bubbling with confidence that the Lakers would win the championship game. He ordered for balloons to be blown up and suspended from the rafters of the old forum by an enormous net. The balloons were to be released when the Lakers won the game. He also ordered for champagne to be brought into the locker room, and he organized post-game celebrations. The marching band from the University of Southern California was brought in to play music during the game and to play the song Happy Days Are Here Again at the conclusion of the game. He also arranged for the Lakers broadcaster Chick Hearn to interview Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, and Will Chamberlain at the end of the game. Bill Russell somehow got a hold of the sheet of paper with the rundown of these post-game instructions. He immediately took this to the team and showed it to them, and he said to the team, Gentlemen, this cannot happen. The other dynamic that was going on all year long was a feud between the Lakers head coach Butch Van Bredekoff and Will Chamberlain. As you can imagine, anybody who was able to work his way to the NBA as either a coach or player is an extremely competitive person. The NBA does not lack for oversized egos. Van Bredekoff had become the Lakers coach the year before after coaching at Princeton University, where he was made famous by Bill Bradley, his best player but he had a very controlling type of attitude when it came to coaching. It was an approach that works fine in college, but is often off-putting in the NBA. The attitude that seems to work in the NBA is for the coach to approach the players more like colleagues than soldiers to be ordered around. Ben Predikoff did not really understand this at the time. This was the last game that he would ever coach for the Lakers, and you're going to see why. But whatever the beef was between Chamberlain and Ben Bredekoff, where they were not going to be having dinner together anytime soon. It was a hard-fought game, and going into the fourth quarter, the Celtics had a 13-point lead. 
This was 1969 and there was no three-point line. The Lakers were going to have to catch up the old-fashioned way. Going into the final quarter, Sam Jones and Bill Russell had five fouls apiece. Will Chamberlain also had five fouls. Now this meant that Russell and Chamberlain were going to have to just let each other score since both were worried about getting that sixth foul. The lead actually went up to as many as 17 points for the Celtics with about eight minutes left in the game. Now the Lakers were in some real trouble here if something did not change quickly. With around seven minutes left and the Lakers closing the gap to just 12 points, Jerry West pump faked Sam Jones and got him to commit his sixth foul. That is how his Hall of Fame career came to an end, by fouling out of Game 7 of the NBA Finals. To their credit, the Lakers crowd gave him a standing ovation for an amazing career, and Jones took his seat on the bench and covered his head in a towel. With just under six minutes to go, Havlicek took a shot and missed. Chamberlain came up with the rebound, but also came up limping. In his autobiography, he said that he hit his knee on something when he came down. Now, I watched this game as part of my research for the story, and it did not appear to me that he hit his knee on anything. Now, he may have tweaked it as he came down. The trainer came out to spray some topical anesthetic on Chamberlain's knee to make the pain go away. The Lakers called a timeout to give the anesthetic some time to take effect. Now, Chamberlain made one trip down the court when play resumed, but he could barely walk. He needed a break, and Mel Counts came in to replace him. With Chamberlain on the bench, the Lakers made a furious comeback and closed the lead. With the Lakers now back into the game, Chamberlain signaled to Van Bredikoff that he was ready to go back into the game. Van Bredikoff ignored him. Now, Chamberlain signaled him again and said he was ready to go in. Finally, Van Bredikoff yelled down to the end of the bench, quote, We don't need you, unquote. The coach wanted to show that he could win a championship without Chamberlain. And you can now see why this was Van Bredikoff's final game as the Lakers head coach. Now, I don't blame him completely because with Mel Counts filling in for Chamberlain during those few minutes, Mel Counts was actually playing defense, whereas Chamberlain wasn't because Chamberlain was afraid of fouling out. Mel Counts wasn't afraid of that. He had fouls to give, and he was using them. But the Lakers continued to play well, and with just three minutes left to play, the Lakers closed the deficit to just one point, 103 to 102. Now, the Lakers crowd was trying to will their team to a championship. The Lakers were trying to attack Bill Russell with his five fouls because he was playing soft defense and the Lakers recognized it. With two minutes left in the game, Don Nelson gets called for charging against Jerry West, but the Lakers cannot take advantage. By the way, this is the same Don Nelson who went on to coach the Bucks, Warriors, Mavericks, and Knicks and became the all-time NBA leader in coaching victories. Now with just 24 seconds left in the game, Larry Siegfried of the Celtics hit a free throw for a four-point lead, giving the Celtics a 106-102 lead. And then he hit another basket for a 108-102 lead. Elgin Baylor then hits a pair of free throws to make it 108-104 with just seven seconds left. The Celtics called a timeout to regroup and the Lakers fans started to make a mass exodus. After the timeout, the Lakers stole the inbounds pass and made a meaningless layup for the final score of 108 to 106. The Celtics had won the championship again, their 11th championship in 13 seasons. They did all of this with Will Chamberlain on the bench for those last five minutes of the game because the Lakers coach felt he needed to prove something. 1969 was the year that the NBA introduced a brand new award, the Finals MVP Award. Ironically, it was given to Jerry West, who finished this last game with 42 points. 
he had averaged 38 points per game for the entire seven game series. It was a valiant effort by a player who so desperately wanted to win his first championship. It was still the only time that the finals MVP award has been given to a player from the losing team. In his own autobiography, West recalls that he nearly retired after that game. Even though he was still in his prime, the pain of losing the finals for the sixth time and all of them to the Celtics was just too much for him mentally. The Celtics proved that when it counted, they were still capable of incredible team performances. In the postgame interview, Bill Russell could not stop complimenting his players. It was a total team effort. And I, even though the series happened five years before I was born, every time I watch it, I react as if I'm watching it live. I cheer each Lakers basket as if I were in the arena. This is how deep it runs for me. I am a diehard Lakers fan and always have been. I grew up in Southern California and the Lakers have always been my team. Obviously, the Celtics deserve full credit for their victory and it was a nice close to Bill Russell's playing career. I do not think that anyone else will ever win 11 championships like Russell did. There are just too many teams to go through and with modern free agency, teams are overhauling their rosters on almost an annual basis. But at the time, the entire NBA breathed a sigh of relief now that Bill Russell was finally retiring. And that opened the door for the 1970s when eight different teams won a championship during that decade. So that's our story for today. Join us next week when we share the story of how Magic Johnson got his own head coach fired. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Also, go ahead and give us a rating and a review, and that will help others to find this podcast more easily. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There, you will find shorter historical posts, as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. 
Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.